Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Hello, Jamba. 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 Hello, Hey, happy Advent! Yes, it's Advent. The season of Advent starts today and ends on Christmas Eve. For centuries, Christians have observed this as a time of prayer, preparation and thanksgiving to the Lord. And many of us tend to think of it as a time to get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth to save us 2,000 years ago. The four Sundays before Christmas each traditionally have their own areas of focus, but actually the strongest emphasis of Advent is not that Jesus came, but that he is coming again. That's what Advent is meant to remind us of, and I never want us to forget that, even among all the fun of all of the festivities. Yes, Christmas is coming, but even more important, even more exciting, even more amazing, Christ is coming. And he spoke about it a lot, and so did the apostles in the New Testament, so that we would live ready and be ready, and some of the most detail is found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, when the Lord spoke to his disciples, detailing and predicting what would happen from the time of his first coming, through the Roman armies coming and destroying the temple in Jerusalem, and the turbulent times in history that would then unfold for us before he comes again. To tell us how we should live, what we should do in the meantime, he finishes up with one word to sum up what we need to do. Watch. Watch for his return so you'll be ready. He says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. It could be today. And then to expand what that means, to watch while we wait for his return, he gave three parables, three stories. Because this waiting, watching, doesn't mean counting down the days on a calendar, even an advent calendar. It doesn't mean gazing up into the sky all the time. It doesn't mean I'm going to give a date anytime soon, like a cult. And then it doesn't mean we're going to hold continuous meetings dressed in saffron robes, that we're going to sell all our property and not get involved in life. But the parables tell us watching and waiting for the second coming involves three specific things and I haven't got time to go through all of them in great detail I wish I had I'm just going to mention the first two and then we're going to focus on the third one at the end of Matthew 24 you can read the parable of the household and the focus there is on the word Jesus tells us God's servants need to feed upon and share the word of God instead of that the warning is given some people live instead for drinking and partying and gobbling up and grabbing everything that's in this life and they get so pulled into what's going on right now in the world and consuming it and conforming to it rather than transforming it they're not ready when the master returns and the master does return. Second parable is the 10 bridesmaids and the way they show whether they're ready or not is through worship. As well as feeding on the word, the question is, are we filled up with the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit? So our lights blaze brightly in the darkness of this world. And it's sobering to me that only 50% of those who thought they were ready had any oil in their lamps when the groom returned for his bride. So. While we wait and watch, we must feed on the word and grow in worship. But the next story to tell us how to watch while we wait is the parable of the talents. It's here in verses 14 to 15. 
4. It will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The story takes the same basic pattern as in the other two. A master goes away. People are waiting for his return. The word for journey there is like going abroad to another country. And we know the master is the Lord himself. So who are the people? Well, that would be us. It's us, you and me. We're not the master. We're servants waiting for our master to return again. We're meant to be ready and waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born as a baby at Christmas, who grew as a man, the miracle worker and the Messiah. And then as Easter approached, he said, I'm going to go to a cross to pay the ransom for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then I'm going to come back for you so that you will be with me. We are represented as these servants waiting for his return. So it's really important to figure something out from this, which is this. What do the talents represent? When we learn what these talents mean, we're going to know what the Lord is telling us to do so we can be ready. And most of us, you hear the word talent and go immediately to the modern use of the word as something that you're good at. You know, like Britain's got talent, some natural skill or ability or gift that we might have if you're good at leading or dancing or singing or painting, but that's not what the original hearers of the story would have thought at all when they heard the word. That's not what talent meant to them. It's not therefore what talent means here. In Bible times, a talent was a measure of weight of gold or silver. And it says he gave one servant five talents, another received two, and the third was given one talent. Well, how much would one talent be worth back then? I used to assume it was a little amount. In today's terms, I thought maybe 500, 210 pounds or something like that. But when I researched further, I realised I was missing one of the major points of what Jesus was saying. For instance, BibleGateway.com says one talent was equal to about 20 years of a day, day labourer's wage. Wow. Do the maths on that. Glassdoor says, that's the recruitment people, in the UK today, a, a manual worker's salary is just over 33,000. So one talent is 20 years of that, 660,000 pounds. Five talents would be 3.3 million pounds. Now, imagine Jesus telling the story to us. That helps us put us in the place of the first hearers. When the Lord says, this master entrusted all of his vast treasure to his servants. That's what he's telling them. The master gave everything that was most precious to him, to them. Now, I know we've talked about money in the last few weeks, so I, it might start to annoy you if I said that with the, word, the W's in the parable was that first of all, we need to be ready with the word, the second with the worship, and the third, what we do with wealth. Though I absolutely could reasonably make the case for that. So, however, not because I'm chickening out from presenting to you what I think the Lord is challenging us all, as was all today, because of course it does involve our, our wealth too. The word I want to work on today to say the third way we get ready is about work, working for him. Between his leaving this planet and his return, the Lord gives each of us what is most valuable and most important to him, which is his work on the earth of loving and serving and telling people about him. He shares that work with us. We get various amounts of time, ways, opportunities and abilities to do this in our lives. So however long we get, the work is to point other people to him. 
our Lord has gone away. He'll soon return. Before he went, he distributed what was his. Did you notice that he says he, he called his servants and entrusted to them his property? God's calling you and me, and he's entrusted to us what is most precious to him. The gospel, the work Jesus did, destroying the work of the evil one, setting captives free, healing the sick. His work he's given to us. The talent doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. It's not something we have, it's not something we own, it's something we're stewards of for him. It says, to one he gave five, to another one, and to each according to his ability. Notice that phrase, to each according to his ability, because God knows. He knows you and he knows me, he knows us, and, he, and when he calls us, he gives us what we can handle, even if we don't think we can. He entrusts us with all kinds of gifts and opportunities and various amounts of time. You know, we don't get, all get the same. And he's not talking about here about what's fair, it's just true. It's just describing the world as it is. It's not a fair world. Some of us have more, others have less. Some people get more time and money and there are some things you can do that I can't do and vice versa, but that's not what matters. It's what we do with what we have that matters to the Lord. It's what I do with what I've got the time, the opportunities that he gives me that shows whether I'm actually living ready and waiting for his return. God loved the world so much that he's given me and you his work to do of saving the world. Do you feel the weight of that? I'm not talking about everybody leaving whatever job you're doing and becoming a pastor or working on staff for the church. Whatever career choices we make, whether we get paid right now or volunteer or retired or whether it's school, it's not the point at all. We get to work for him. We can work for him and do his work in the world, in the church here and in the world out there. We take the time, the gifts, the opportunities that he gave us, and we take a risk somehow to do something for him. That's what faith looks like when we act in those ways. These servants were not to sit around counting or comparing with each other, but to make what they had count. They had the chance, they were all called to do work for the master, to do his work, something that benefits him. I don't want to miss that the investment of the talents in the story is made on behalf of the Lord, the absent Lord, not the servant themselves. The risk, and acting in faith is always risky. The risk is taken by the servant for the benefit of the work of the Lord. The servant is expected to do this for the Lord. God delegate his work to us. He shared it out to us, to every one of us who say we're Christians. Some of us have more time or various abilities, but we all have some, we all have something. And what does he want us to do? Something. Go to him in prayer, offer yourself today. You will definitely, certainly find there's something he wants you to do. And not to be afraid to do it because he calls us to do it. And those he calls, he also equips. He knows you better than you know yourself. He made you. He knows your ability. He wants to see your availability. There's something we can do. Maybe you already know, but to do it means you take a risk. And I mean, doing something not for our own reward, but for the Lord, for his mission, for what matters to him. What is it? Do you know? Maybe you're already working at it. You already know God has put certain natural gifts inside of you. When you were younger, you're trying them out. Or now, perhaps you've already discovered an ability or your gifts. There are spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Prophecy, healing, miracles, teaching, administration, shepherding. How are you using them? What are you going to do with them for him? Everywhere around you, 
you have opportunity from God and you have time right now from God and there's something you can put to work for God. Not burying anything in the ground, but investing the time, talent and treasures that God has put inside of us. Not for our behalf, but for Christ's sake. Between now and his return, or the end of our own time here, there are defining decision moments. And you know what? I'm praying, and I really believe for many of you, this will be a defining moment today. A time when we're confronted with the question of whether we're actually willing to invest our life And perhaps that will mean the loss of something we want so God can have something that he wants from us. You might think God doesn't test like that, but yeah, I know he does. And it's a test in this life. It doesn't come at the end. I know it's come for me many times in my life. God's come and asked me the question. Haven't you faced the question in a big or a small way at one point, one time or another? The big version comes when we had to decide, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to live for? And I'm not the master of that anymore since I gave my life to Jesus. I've found though that my life destiny turns on smaller decisions. That's what affects those bigger outcomes. Somebody here, you might be thinking, should I accept this offer to in some way serve the poor or you know, help somebody for the sake of Jesus Christ or, or pursue that plan for promotion and more money and everything that goes with it for me? You know, it's in pretty stark terms, but we do have those kind of decisions in life. Over the years, Zoe and I have laid it all out again before the Lord and we've said this simple prayer, we will go where you want and we'll do what you want. When you pray that, sometimes a move comes up right away and we've gone. Or sometimes that's just the test. If you, would you really mean it? Would you leave it all behind and trust him like you said and actually stay where you are and work for him there in doing what you're doing? For many of us, however, it does mean that you move houses or towns or cities and schools that the kids went to. That's what it's been like for us. And again, I'm not saying every Christian should become a minister, but I am saying every Christian must have a ministry. Places to go, people to serve, in the church and in the world, to make a difference for Jesus, not bury it in in the ground. Perhaps for you it's not going to be, should I go to that nation and be a missionary there? But it could be, could I lead a grow group or open up my home to welcome people from other nations that are coming here so I can show them and tell them the truth of the gospel? How, I, how am I going to invest my life is too big a question for me. Instead, I shrink it down to how am I going to use my time this week? How much will I use it for work, rest and play, all of which are good things? And how much will I invest in serving the Lord specifically by discovering and doing what he's called me to do for him in his name to benefit others so they might come to know him too? How much time can I pray this week? Is there an age group or a people type God has been breaking my heart for or prepared me to use my gifts for him by serving them? Is there a ministry around here at Ivy I've been thinking really should be done or could be done better and somebody really should do it? Hey, what if it's you? You probably heard the story of four people named everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. It said that there was an important job to be done and everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Jesus is saying between now and when he comes back, his people 
will never fail to have opportunities to either give away and invest your life for his sake or try and save it for yourself and lose it. Yeah, lose it. Use it or lose it. I've missed out on so many opportunities, I know. I don't want to miss all the opportunities that he gives me, but I also know he's going to give, and I'm going to be asked to give an account for what I've done with what he gave me to do for him. Verses 19 to 23 say, Now, after a long time, I underline that bit, he's coming, but it's on his own timetable, he's not in a rush. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, servant number one made the most of his opportunities to serve the Lord. Last week we saw that this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said later in, in the same chapter, this might involve taking the kind of risk that looked like feeding somebody who's hungry, setting captives free, healing the sick, visiting those in prison. And then he said, when you did it for them, it's like you were doing it for me. He sees it all, he rewards it all. You used your five talents, brilliant. Here's an upgrade. More responsibility, more opportunity to serve me at a higher level. That's how it works. You used it and you'll never lose your reward. That's the kind of accountability we're talking about. That's the kind of accountability our God wants us to do so he can reward us. He wants us to give an account for the ability. He wants to say to you and me, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I think we'd like to assume that he says that to everybody who says they're a Christian when we get to glory, but I'm not sure that you can really make a biblical case for that's being the way it works. Like those sports days where everybody gets the participation prize. No, the Bible never indicates that at all. It says the rewards and the prize and the wreath and the crowns, they're always for those who run the race, those who beat their bodies into submission, those who endure, those who serve. You have to be a good and faithful servant, servant, to hear that well done. Like servant number two. It says, he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your masters. He is a happy master. He's a joyful master. Now, just like the first servant, this guy made a hundred percent return on the investment. He didn't start out with as much, but proportionately he gained as much by using what he'd been given for the Lord. He counted his blessings and made them count for the call and for the cause of Christ. So now he hears exactly the same com commendation. You know, comparison is the thief of joy. It's also the thief of opportunity. We might see somebody leading some massive ministry, millions of pounds, prominence, huge platform, and then think, oh, but I've only got this small group of children that I'm on the road to, to teach Ivy Kids on Sunday. The Lord sees no difference at all in terms of importance. The question is, will it be good? And will I be faithful? Will I be a servant? He never asked you or me to lead that. He just said, will you serve me there? Will you do what I've asked you to do? 
where I've called you to do it. That's the point, which leads us to the third man. Now, ready? This is where it gets a bit gnarly, so hold tight. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everybody who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ook. I don't know about anybody else, but I remember I used to read that and feel like the master in the story was pretty harsh with this guy. I thought he didn't start out with very much, though I found out later, as I've said, that that was wrong. A gift of 20 years wages all at once shows that actually this master is good and is generous and how much he trusted the guy. Actually, he believed in him, though the servant, it seems, didn't trust the master. I used to think, well, at least his boss get, got back what he'd given him. That's what I thought anyway. But the key to understanding this parable and how the Lord wants us to live for him now is where it says, to him who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What he's saying there is, if you don't use it, you lose it. If I miss the chance to offer to pray for somebody, to invite them to some event at Christmas, this, uh, to this church maybe, or and, you know, the place where they could have come to meet Jesus. If I, if I get too busy with everything else, so I didn't pray and I, I didn't serve on that team, I didn't teach that class, I didn't call that person, I didn't send the note, open my home, I didn't give the money or the time to help or to visit that person in need. If I got scared, it won't work, or they'll reject me, or it'll cost too much, and it'll be inconvenient. If I don't take that risk of faith, I've missed it. I buried it. If God prompts you today, but you don't take action on what you believe he's telling you, when he tells you to go, to serve, to give, to make the most of the opportunity that he's put before you and use what he gives you and do it, do it now. Do it now. Use it. Don't lose it. I, I've missed so many opportunities in my life. I've buried them. This isn't the kind of thing that, that when you bury it in the ground, it grows. This is the kind of thing when you bury your talent, your gift, your opportunity, you know what's going to happen to it? It dies when you bury it. You know what that's like. When I was a teenager, I was really good at drawing. I was one of the best in the class. But nowadays when I draw, well, I, I like to think it looks like Picasso or L.S. Lowry. And it does, but not in a good way. <laughs> this servant was not good or faithful, the, 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 the master says. Why? Because he wasn't really a servant at all. He didn't do what the master told him to do. He did what he wanted to do with what he'd been given. Of course, he had his little speech already to justify it, where he blamed the Lord when he returned, saying, well, it's actually your fault. You left us with this work to do for you, but there's no list of instructions here of exactly how you expect us to do it. So I didn't do what you said, but I did keep safe. I did keep tight hold of what you gave me. Here it is. Now we're even. The master doesn't agree that he's a harsh master. He doesn't even bother to argue either way against that. He just says, well, okay, if that's what you think of me, 
Surely you must have realised that doing nothing for me with what I gave you is hardly the way to make me happy. You could have at least taken it to the banker or done, done something with it if you were too lazy. The Lord shows the real problem is the servant did not want to serve him. He wanted to suit himself. He actually wasn't bothered about what mattered to his master. He just wanted the benefits that came from saying, pretending that he belonged to the household. He had the title of a servant or of a steward, but he would not be one. Really, he wanted to be master. He was pretending to be a servant, but he wasn't serving. And the master says, you're a phony. Kick him out. That's why whenever I read this story, it challenges me as I live waiting for the Lord's return. What am I doing for him in the meantime? How am I spending my time? How am I investing my life? Am I playing it safe for myself? Or how will my faith grow as I risk it somehow for Christ's sake? See, the Lord might give you five, two or a hundred talents. Use them. Take the risk. He'll give you more and more and more if you trust him and go all in. He's laying out before every single one of us today your opportunities to work for his sake. We don't work for our salvation, but because we've got grace, we love to work for him. Use it. Don't lose it. This is how to be ready. As we watch and wait for his return, we feed on the word, fueling our spiritual life through worship. And whenever we get the opportunity in our lives, we can always do some work for him by serving others in his name. We're in the year of rebuilding. And as it kind of closes out, I want to thank God for everybody who's already doing that. But we need teams and techies and teachers. We need musicians and prayers and hospitality to reach out and welcome people who are lost and alone. So they come here and they're found and at home. We need money coming in so we can commit to ministries, for projects, for programs to reach people. That's what it's about. That means commitments that are followed through. We need the gifts of the Spirit to be used. We need the church to rise up. I'm talking about that tonight. We need everybody to wake up and step up and find a place to start and discover the excitement of living as God intended, doing what he called us to do. So one day, here or there, whether we meet him in the air as he comes to us or we go to him first, you and me, I want us all to hear him say it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.